Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. I have determined uh, immediately before we sat down to record this episode that when you have someone with ADD or ADHD, right, that attention deficiency, what you have is a human who (laughs) resembles a sim character. Yeah. It's when you have a sim with free will. They start doing the things that you don't want to do, you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. Like, why are they going to the fridge right now? They got to go to work. Mm-hmm. When you have ADD, you're like, I have to go pet the cat. I have to go do this right now. I have to go stand in this corner of the room for a few seconds. Right. So I'm both the sim and the sim player because I'm the sim doing random things. And then once in a while, the sim player within <laughs> me will kick in and say, no, no, go over this way. Redirect your path. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. Right. And it's like you screaming at yourself, read this book so that you have better logic. But yeah. then you sit down to read the book and you're immediately like, I would rather fry some eggs. Yeah, 100%. And then you stop. You're like, no, stop. You're not frying eggs. You're going to sit down and read this book. And you're like, yes, I'm going to sit down and read this book. You open it and you're like, nah, I need to go flush the toilet. <laughs> yeah, right. I just had a moment like that the other night. I was... We'll actually talk about, we'll talk about this later, but I was watching the movie Men in Black, Mm. which is what this episode is ultimately going to be about. Me and my girlfriend decided to watch it just for fun. Also, because it's October now, (gasps) as of this recording. Wow. It'd be fun to watch a little scary horror. It's not not scary. I was like, I was going to say like, uh, (laughs) Will Smith would never. Oh, it's so scary. Uh, (laughs) No, but so we watched it and. In the middle of watching it, I had so many impulses to get up and like move stuff around. And I had to remind myself that I'm watching a movie with my girlfriend right now. Mm -hmm. And like my mind would start to wander and I look at some cups on the table and I'd be like, (laughs) I need to take those to the sink right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, why? Yeah. Why would I do that? There's no need for them to be moved right now. But in my mind, I have to do this right now. Yeah. I'm just like, I got to go check and see how the bathroom's looking right now. Mm-hmm. I got to go put that thing away. I have to go move this. I have to go grab this. I have to tell myself not to. My thing too is like, I'll notice something and I'm like, oh my God, why is this here? I need to put it in a place that I'll always remember it. But then I only ever remember it as being in the place that didn't make sense yeah. and not the place that did make sense mm-hmm. apparently. And I will never find it again. There are so many things, and this might not even be ADD. I just moved. And there's so many things that I think I brought with me. Because I'm like, I know that I packed them in a very safe way or like I did this or I put them in a spot that I knew I'd remember. And like the more I think about it, the more I'm realizing that I have this non-memory of ever have of ever Mm -hmm. bringing it with me. And I'm like, what what, what is reality? Where are my things? I feel like that. But I also constantly forget that I own things because I don't see it all of the time. Mm -hmm. So then I'm constantly rediscovering that I own certain things because like. It'll just pop up in my line of sight. And I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't seen this in like two years because I, f- I forgot I own this. Right. Or like it could literally just be like a few days. Yeah. Like I move it. and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot I had this. I haven't seen it in a, in a few days. For me, it'll be like my environment can become so much like a single object. So like, yeah, if I have this thing, it could be right on the shelf right in front of me. And there's, a, there's an object that I'm looking for on that shelf. 
I've seen that shelf every day for the past year. And so now that shelf is simply the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing on it exists. It is just the shelf and I will never look at it because that shelf's always been there. Nothing to look at on that shelf. Right. It doesn't so I'll exist. Be look- yeah. So I'll be looking for something. It'll be on that fucking shelf that I'm staring at every day, <laughs> yet not staring at because I also don't see it because right. I've seen it so many times. Right. I don't know. It's weird. I'm like, yeah, kind of concerned a little bit, like not really, but kind of because I'm in a long distance relationship. Right. And part of my object permanence also has to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Like if someone is not <laughs> in my life very consistently, I just kind of forget about them and not in the way that I don't care about them. It's just that I don't think about you if you're not directly in my face, you know, consistently. It's hits close to home. It's just hard because like in a long distance, it's fine because we have it worked out where we FaceTime every night. So like I always know that she's there, but she's also in the military, which means that she's going to be on deployment for like long stretches of time. Yeah. And I have no idea how I'm supposed to remember that I have a girlfriend um, because I'm not associating with her <laughs> You'll remember. Uh, You'll every remember. single day for like nine months. Like I'll remember, but also will I remember? Frankly, I have no idea if you remember. I'm just hoping you will. I hope I remember but too. This is, I, I never even considered object permanence to be anything but for babies, like, you know, issues <laughs> with object permanence until yeah. being diagnosed with ADD. And also being like a committed relationship with somebody who is psychologically self-aware mm-hmm. and so then spreads that self-awareness onto me. And so she'll be like, you know, you, I think you have an issue with object permanence. And I'm like, no way. That's for babies. I'm a, I'm a big, strong man. I know all things. And it's not that you forget about them when they're not in mm-hmm. front of you. Because to me, that sounds so heartless and yeah. inconsiderate. Like, oh, I forget right. about a person if they're not directly in front of me. I think it's just that there's so much stimuli that is constantly being mm-hmm. forced through your eyes and your ears. Right. You're so busy being overwhelmed by everything else. You don't stop to naturally think of something mm-hmm. that is not part of that stimuli in front of you. Right. Because like my day-to-day functioning is dealing with the things that present themselves to me during that day. Like I wake up and then I have to deal with eating breakfast and getting ready. And mm-hmm. then I have to deal with going to work. And then I'm doing the things at work. And then I come home and I need to make food. And then it's just like a series of, oh, the next step, the next step. I'm having to deal with all of these things that are thrown at me. And if you're not throwing yourself at me, <laughs> I, I will not sit down long enough to think, hold on. And like, sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I really miss my girlfriend right now. Mm -hmm. But also I feel like if it were nine months straight of that, at some point I'm going to be like, oh my God, you're home. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were a figment of my imagination. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Wait, what are you doing here now? All right. What the heck? No, you know, life is definitely a point and click adventure game. Okay. What's going on now? What am I presented with? We're going here. I'm doing this. I'm doing this until I'm not. I'm doing that until I'm not. Well, even just now, like right before we record this podcast, you know, your girlfriend got home with the groceries and we were like talking to her and then we're like, okay, now time to wander off and pet the cat. Yep. And then she's like, wait, hold on. I wasn't, I wasn't done talking with you. Uh, Okay. We'll go. Yeah. yeah. She's trying to like figure out like, Hey, so how much longer are you guys going to be recording? That's all she wanted to know, but we kept on talking and then wandering off to do something. <laughs> you were wandering around, and then I was, like, wandering in a yeah. different cycle. Yep. <laughs> so me and you were just, like, burp, burp, she was burp, burp, just burp, burp, alone burp. in the kitchen. Like, I'm sure she loves that feeling <laughs> of being alone with two people. Who uh, clearly have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Their limbs yeah. just move them in places, and then they yep. touch the first thing that shows up in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, living is that. a nightmare. Anyways. Welcome to our podcast where you have two mentally deficient people 
which is very aptly named for a podcast according to an idiot. I'm Jeremy. I'm Mo. And do we have a show for you? Oh my. I want to start this off actually with something that I'm choosing to call the non sequitur of the day. Oh, okay. It's common knowledge that the North American elk can't speak English or any human language for that matter. But did you know, (laughs) due to the shape of the North American elk's esophagus, even if it could speak, it could not pronounce the word lasagna. Oh my, okay. I hated that you made me listen to that. Isn't that awesome? So here's here's some <laughs> other North American elk sounds that they make. So elks have certain like calls that they make that, that there are words mm-hmm. for them, whatever. Uh, number one, a bugle. This is a mating call that can be heard from dusk till dawn during what is called rutting season. That's when they fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it consists <laughs> of startling guttural shrieks that escalate into a high-pitched squeal before ending in a succession of grunts. That's a uh, bugle. Can you give me like a impersonation? All right, so give me a, give me a mimicry. Okay, so okay, so we're gonna start with the guttural shriek, <laughs> and then that escalates into a, a high a high pitched squeal. So <laughs> ending in a succession of grunts. So <laughs> okay. Uh, number two. Uh-huh. Number two. A chuckle. Ah. These are the affirmation grunts that follow a bugle, also used to challenge opposing bull elks. So ma- male elks will go, that's uh, uh, uh. called a chuckle. Uh, number three, bark. Um, yeah, no, an elk barks when it's alarmed. It sounds like a dog's bark, but with a strikingly hollow tone. Woof. That's my bark. Woof. Yeah, woof. <laughs> woof. That sounds hollow as hell. Uh, number four, I just, uh, glunking. Glunks come from deep within an elk's throat, resembling a dull metallic sound. I do love being deep in an elk. Deep in an elk's throat. Um, <laughs> I cannot impersonate that, but I just want to share some of those. You'll never need to know this. Really useless. And I've already forgotten whatever all I just said. Also, I have a little story that I found out. This is this is at least 50% of the story is true. Mm-hmm. I like to imagine that more is, but we don't know. This is about the Pinocchio premiere. Um, oh. The Walt Disney animated feature came out in 1940. Been a minute, obviously, but so <laughs> the Disney animated feature Pinocchio premiered February 7th, 1940, and the premiere event was held at the Center Theater in New York City. It was decided that Disney would hire real-life little people to dress in mascot costumes resembling Pinocchio to make an appearance at the Pinocchio premiere. Sounds problematic. Yeah, so these little people would dress up in the mascot costumes and they would hang out and wave to kids and stuff like that. So 11 performers with dwarfism were hired and dressed and brought to the event. Page turn. It's so weird to me how, like, obsessed America used to be with dwarfism, you know? know, I know. They really were, like, the joke, like, the butt of all the jokes. Yeah. I feel like it's so bizarre. There is, there is, well, the story is about a, a little bit of revenge. At the time, the theater had a large marquee overhang above the entrance. It kind of acted as like a balcony. Mm-hmm. The actors were stationed atop this overhang platform where they would wave and greet guests that were entering the theater. This was a day-long event. And so the actors were supplied with food and drinks, um, regrettably alcoholic beverages, like beer and whatnot. It was a particularly warm day, and the exhausted Pinocchios gradually began to remove their heavy mascot head masks, and they also began drinking to beat the heat. 
As the day rolled on, the overheated and increasingly intoxicated little people began removing more and more of their wardrobe. Huh. The drunkest of them partook in harassing the moviegoers on the, street, oh. <laughs> on the streets below, shouting obscenities and hurling insults. Mm -hmm. By the time the police were called, the majority of the actors were entirely nude and very drunk. <laughs> According to rumor, once the cops scaled the theater and reached the marquee overhang, they happened upon the underdressed Pinocchios gambling to pass the time. No. So naked, drunk people gambling. The cops then had to chase them around the rooftop as they playfully resisted arrest. And witnesses <laughs> claimed that police resorted to capturing the actors in oversized pillowcases and carrying each down a ladder one by one. Christ. <laughs> So whether it's true or an urban legend, I mean, I think that's awesome. That's an amazing visual. It's like, what could go wrong? This could go wrong. Very wrong. I would love to, like, time travel to that premiere. Oh, sorry, I made you yawn. Yeah. Made you yawn. <laughs> made you yawn. <laughs> yeah, if you could time travel, that is the place to be. I guess it was inspired because at the Snow White premiere, they had hired little people to dress up as the seven dwarves. Mm -hmm. so Walt Disney was like, we need more. People love it. Maud People love it. I mean, like, there has to be so much resentment from them, right? Because, like, everyone, I'm sure, at that point has no tact and just laughs at them and makes fun of them. So it's oh, like, sure. fuck I'm, you guys. I'm sure it was, like, a complete revenge fantasy for them. I gotta fuck get drunk and even just to yeah. deal with y'all. You guys like, were stupid enough to lock you. us on this rooftop with alcohol. Right. And think that we weren't about to get naked and, <laughs> and curse at people. <laughs> Good on them. Yeah, it's fucking Good awesome. Good on them. This episode of According to an Idiot is brought to you by Manscaped. You know what I look forward to most during the Halloween season? Absolute carnage. Blood, guts, the occasional ghoul. You know, running around, doing whatever ghouls do. But there's one area of my life where I don't want to have to worry about brutality and gore. And that's when it comes to my darn undercarriage. So that's why I use Manscaped when I'm at my most vulnerable. Yes, sir, when I'm in the shower, I don't want to have to worry about an ax murderer pulling back the shower curtains and doing me dirty. You know, uh, ax murdering me. And I certainly don't want to have to worry about a massacre of my own doing. With Manscaped's new Lawnmower 4.0, I can rest easy at night knowing I'm safe from complete and utter destruction. And so can you. Use the offer code IDIOT at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping on your own tools of mass weed reduction. Again, that's code IDIOT, I-D-I-O-T, at manscaped.com. Thanks, Manscaped. And now back to the show. Well, I have an iTunes review that I can read. Oh, sorry, we don't, do, are we doing those still? I guess we are. Yeah, we have we been. We definitely missed a few, I think. No, we caught up last time. Really? Yeah, okay, cool. it's just been a while. So we got a new one from Brit Anar, and it is titled Massively Underrated with five stars. Whoa. They said, this show should be bigger than it is. These two are so naturally funny and talented and also self-aware. I hope they start posting more often because I love every episode. They are so entertaining. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. That's beautiful. That thank you very, very thank you very much. Yeah, that's an issue that we always have faced is that we are kind of stunted by how often we upload because we're always trying to find out how to expedite this process. Mm -hmm. But it's all about finding time to meet up to record throughout our schedules. Also find time to edit. Find time to research is a big thing too. Yeah. We're we're gonna hopefully speed that up. Yeah, get a better process year. going. 
um, because we are both in more comfortable spaces right now. I mean, a lot of it is just us growing as adults and navigating life. And like, we've never really been stable in the three years that we've recorded this. So a lot of it is just trying to navigate our very different schedules that's always evolving and changing. We're finally getting to a place where maybe... We're starting to level out a bit and we can like actually navigate things. I mean, hopefully. Um, and then my eye decided to fall off. <laughs> so then that's the thing. Your, set your eye back. fell off and then I moved. And, and then like my eye fell job. off again. <laughs> then your eye fell off again. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, but thank you. Thank you for the review. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to hear that you love the, pu- the, pu- the pussy. The pussy. I love this pussy. Uh, the naked dwarf Pinocchios. Yeah. It's fine. I understand. I get it. I'm in the same boat as you. Let's stop whatever you're doing right there. <laughs> uh, I also have a segment. I have an only on the interwebs huh? that I found, and I instantly was intrigued. I was like, oh, my God, I must know it all. And then I proceeded to do no research on it, so you're going to get a very surface-level recounting. Little cursory research from us. <laughs> so that's what, I, that's what I do on only on the interwebs, right? It's not a full segment. Well, it is a segment, but it's not a full research topic. Yeah, right. it's half-assed. You it's can just half-assed. say it. Anyway, so this is a Michael Jackson conspiracy theory on him still being alive. Okay. Which I find fun. Only on the interwebs. I heard you listening to a video in the middle, like, so Mo came over before we started recording to get a little bit of extra research done. And I heard you listening to like a Larry King clip where Larry King was like, he was caught on fire. <laughs> And I, and I, is that a reference yeah. to Michael Jackson, like yeah. the Pepsi commercial that made him cut off? Okay, yeah. okay. Just drawing some connection. I was like, what the hell is she listening what to? What in the world? Yep. Okay. So basically, there's this whole conspiracy theory that Michael Jackson didn't die. He faked his death and has been living under a disguise in secret. I have one more to it. I don't think he was ever born. Ooh. Holy shit. Oh, Michael Jackson never happened. Now we're getting there. Now we're digging deep. <laughs> So the idea is that Michael Jackson has been portraying this person by the name of Dave Dave. And which I feel like is a very Michael Jackson thing to do. Um, so I think it was Larry King that did an interview with this guy named Dave Dave. And he is very disfigured. Like he has scars all over his body, his face from a fire. And in the interview, he apparently stated that the fire happened in 1983. Okay. And Michael Jackson also suffered from a fire incident right around 1983 where he had burn scars on his head and face. So similar timeline, right? His voice is also eerily similar to Michael Jackson and has very similar eyes. Yeah. So... They also interviewed another man who was a friend of Michael Jackson, and he was stating that he always loved to do these very elaborate disguises. And he even, who hung out with him quite often, would never be able to recognize him. And he had a lot of fun like going out in public under these different disguises. And one of their other friends saw Michael, didn't recognize him, and the original friend jokingly called him Dave in this disguise. Yeah. So it's weird that that was the name that he gave him in this disguise. And then there's this mystery guy who has the same cadence, same demeanor, same voice, same eyes, being interviewed with all these scars, calling himself Dave Dave. And he also claims, this disguised man, that he was a friend 
of Michael Jackson's as well and hung out with him quite regularly. So I want everyone to look up really quick. If you're listening to this, when you have a free moment, Google Dave, Dave, <laughs> but continue. Mo. Why was going on? I'm just looking at images of Dave, Dave, and I don't. So he was a burn. He is, was severely burned at some point. And I don't want to make a spectacle out of that, but he does look rather scary. Did you Google him? Yeah. Yeah. He looks, I didn't know what I was Googling when I, I typed his name in as soon as you said it. And I was very startled. Are, by you, are you looking at the side by side of Dave, Dave and Michael Jackson? Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see it, but there's also images where Michael Jackson and Dave, Dave are in the same place. Are they? You got me there. Are they? Look at that. I'm looking at the exact same picture. <laughs> yeah, it's like undisputable pictures of Dave Dave with Michael Jackson in the same place. Um, no, but yeah, I see the same eyes. I think that Dave Dave is Michael Jackson. I think you're right. Despite all the evidence I just saw that disputes that, mm -hmm. I think you're correct. I do think Michael Jackson's creepy. I do think that Dave Dave's kind of creepy. <laughs> and therefore, why not? And they both got big eyes. Yeah. Big brown eyes. So why why not? I mean, the timeline. The timeline adds up. doesn't really add up. The fires doesn't really add up. Add up. Dave Dave was a child when he was set on fire in the 80s. So was Michael Jackson. He was 25. That's not not the same thing. I mean, Dave Dave was literally a boy. Yeah, he was seven years old, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. that is quite clear. What's the difference between a 25-year-old and a seven-year-old? Now we're sounding like Michael Jackson. Yeah. Age ain't nothing but a number. Anyways. Oh, God. Okay. I see this as I'm sitting in my office chair, ripping the leather off the seat of it All anxiously. Right. <laughs> yeah, you've been picking. You have a pile. You have a pile of shredded leather that you've it's been peeling, peeling off, off of this I chair. I just, I can't, I can't stop. You can hear me right now. Hold on, hold on. You hear that? That's me peeling off the leather of this chair. I can't stop. It's the sim. It's the sim in it's you. Sim. Garubido. <laughs> I am Dave Dave. A roomy batar. A gluto. A gluto. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this video. Of someone who talked in like a bro type way, and it sounded like Simlish. What is that? Yeah. You can't understand it. Hey, bro, how are you doing today? <laughs> you know how shock jocks in the radio talk? In Detroit, there's this guy named I can't I don't know what station it is, <laughs> but his name's his name's Dave Dahmer. He goes, Hey everybody, Dave Dahmer here. And it's like, sir, it's 2021. You can't be on the radio with that voice anymore. <laughs> oh my god. New news about Gwen Stefani. It's like, get the fuck out of here, Dave Dahmer. <laughs> this is Mo, and this is Jeremy. What's going on, guys? It's Mo <laughs> and the fart box. <laughs> <laughs> Stinky Thursdays here. Yeah. I hate, hate shock jocks. You're listening to According to an Idiot. This episode, we're going to be talking about Michael Jackson, dead or alive. <laughs> The shitty sound bites. <laughs> oh no! And then it's like always a woman orgasming, like oh yeah. Oh no! What the fuck? Anyways, uh, that's scary though. I love a good disguise. Yeah. And Michael Jackson did love disguises. He really did. He had some great ones throughout the years. If you Google it, you can see 
he like um would go shopping with the kids right. and he would wear masks for a really long time um he liked to pretend to be someone who wasn't a pedophile <laughs> yeah which is probably his best disguise <laughs> i thought it was pretty poor disguise but some people thought it was pretty convincing yeah. <laughs> i was a child so i'm like oh he's friendly yeah i don't know what you guys mean yeah yeah right. anyways instead of disgracing the dead how about we talk about some aliens let's talk about some aliens and some strange cover-up conspiracies with the men in black that's right, kids. This episode is all about Mibs. Mibs. You see that in, the, in your research and you know, how they spell uh, Men in Black is always M-I-B. M-I-B. But they actually say it like Mib. Ew. I saw my first Mib in 1964. Oh. It's like, what? Sounds like a barbecue sauce. Like a sauce. Like a hot one I all. Welcome back to Fart Fox. This is so bad. <laughs> I'm just like thinking about Kat being able to hear us through the door and like what she was <laughs> imagining right now. Uh, my girlfriend's going to leave me after this? Well, it was interesting because you texted me and you're like, oh, I really would like to do a Men in Black episode, like finally cover the Men in Black. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, I feel like we've covered Men in Black probably at least every other episode um <laughs> i think no so we we mentioned the men in black on in our mothman episode briefly well not briefly i think that whole second episode actually might have been the men in black the more i think about it we might have already covered this well we're gonna cover it again <laughs> so, <laughs> you've never heard it this way before um yeah we're gonna we're, tell you all the same information but in cursive yeah so again you've heard about it before if you, if you listen to the show you've heard us talk about the men in black before but this is a more singular vision of it. This is mm -hmm. more like the origins of it and government conspiracy, stuff like that. A little more fun with it. Not so right. much Mothman. Yeah, a lot more of just like, oh, what the heck? And conspiracy type things. And I'm also going to be going a bit extraterrestrial with it. So Very fun. Yeah. Very fun. Well, hey, let's put on our black suits and our black hats and our black shoes and our black gloves. Because that's what the men in black wear. Oh, know? God. Okay. Do you get it? Yeah. Welcome back to Fart Box. Fart Box. All right. Let's just jump into this. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. And we still get reports of these very strange visitors dressed in black clothes. He said, we will see you again. And uh, I have a feeling that he will. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. The following is an excerpt from The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. Chapter 2, titled, The Creep Who Came In From The Cold. Did you ever hear of anyone, especially an Air Force officer, trying to drink Jello? Mrs. Ralph Butler of Awatona, Minnesota asked. Well, that's what he did. He acted like he had never seen any before. He picked up the bowl and tried to drink it. I had to show him how to eat it with a spoon. Mrs. Butler was describing the man who had visited her in May 1967, following a flurry of UFO sightings in Awatona. He said he was Major Richard French of the U.S. Air Force, although he was dressed in civilian clothes and was driving a white Mustang. His neat gray suit and everything else he was wearing appeared to be brand new. Even the soles of his shoes were unscuffed, unwalked upon. He was about five feet nine inches tall, 
with an olive complexion and a pointed face. His hair was dark and very long, too long for an Air Force officer, Mrs. Butler thought. Unlike Jack Brown, Major French was a fluent conversationalist and seemed perfectly normal until he complained about his stomach bothering him. When Mrs. Butler offered him the jello, she suspected for the first time that something was out of kilter. Gelatin. Richard French was an imposter, one of the many wandering around the United States in 1967. For years, these characters had caused acute paranoia among the flying saucer enthusiasts, convincing them that the Air Force was investigating them, silencing witnesses and indulging in all kinds of unsavory activities, including murder. When I first began collecting such reports, I was naturally suspicious of the people making such reports. It all seemed like a massive put-on, but gradually it became apparent the same minute details were turning up in widely separated cases, and none of these details had been published anywhere, not even in little newsletters of the UFO cultists. There was somebody out there alright. A few, like Richard French, almost pulled off their capers without drawing attention to themselves. But in nearly every case there was always some small error some slip of dress or behavior, which the witnesses were usually willing to overlook, but which stood out like signal flares to me. They often arrived in old model cars, which were as shiny and well-kept as brand new vehicles. Sometimes they slipped up in their dress, wearing clothes that were out of fashion, or even more perturbing, would not come into fashion until years later. Those who posed as military officers obviously had no knowledge of military procedure or basic military jargon. If they had occasion to pull out a wallet or notebook, it would be brand new, although most men carry beat-up old wallets and notebooks which gain a worn look. Finally, like the fairies of old, they often collected souvenirs from the witnesses, delightfully walking away with an old magazine, pen, or some small, expendable object. What troubled me most was the fact that these mystery men and women often matched the descriptions given to me by contactees who claimed to have seen a UFO land and had glimpsed or conversed with their pilots. Pilots with either pointed features, dusky skin, and unusually long fingers. So as I said before, we talked about this in our Mothman episode originally, and that's because in 1960-whatever, when the Mothman was haunting the skies over Point Pleasant, West Virginia... Right. I know it's going to be um, good because you're moving your head around like a snake. Well, they don't tell them that. They can't tell that. They don't know. I just need them to know this visual. Back in 1960. This is what I have to do to access my memory. Um, so there was a lot of UFO flaps in the in the area, as well as the Mothman sightings, all throughout the Ohio River Valley, which is a pretty large area. Really what people consider to be the golden area of the United States. Yeah, Ohio River Valley. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, Prime it's, real estate. It's God's country, really. It really um, is, yeah. Anywhere anywhere related to Ohio, I think, is... Not to go on a tangent, but I'm about to go on a tangent. Everyone I've ever met agrees that Ohio is like the black hole of America. I don't know that anyone thinks of Ohio and is like, that is where I want to raise my children. And no insult to the people of Ohio, just but the land of Ohio. insult to the people of Ohio. <laughs> okay, because yeah. you have a choice to be somewhere and you're choosing to be there. Well, not everybody has a choice. I mean, there's also people who are enslaved in a basement somewhere. That's true. So you gotta, unless you are that. enslaved in a basement in Ohio, why are you there? Why are you there? Yeah, I'm judging you. I mean, to be fair, Michigan's just Ohio, but with lakes and cars. Listen, I know. That's why I'm trying to bail. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to skedaddle. I was forcefully dragged here by my parents when I was a wee child, much like the dwarf Pinocchios. That's right. And now I am stripping naked and getting pissed drunk 
and I'm going to be leaving via pillowcase. That's right. Of my own accord. Very good. Very good. Bringing it back. That's a great, really solid callback, actually. Bring it back. Rewind it back. Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Are are you going to be all right? Those lyrics. Have you been taking your pills? (laughs) What was the lyrics? Take it back, rewind it back, you know. I don't even, you're not even giving me enough to work with. Uh, so I don't know what that is. Uh, it drives Greta crazy because I'll always like sing songs, but I will never use the lyrics. <laughs> just like so murmur. Like, I'm just like. <laughs> you do that almost every time I see you. You're like, what's that song? It's like. <laughs> it's somewhere between like hank williams and and like a baby sloth i will remember a maximum of five words never gonna let you go i don't like how accurate that is anyways so back to uh the men in black there is so much yet so little to talk about in my opinion with the men in black that's why we're kind of going to narrow it down to what we, the, the individual stories we'll be covering. Um, so the men in black, uh, as we have discussed before in previous episodes are sort of like a, there's a lot of theories behind them, but it's the typical guys in black suits look kind of strange, act kind of strange from out of this world. They're always following UFO investigators, stalking people who have witnessed maybe a, a strange sighting of alien nature or ufos whatever and there's there's a a menacing threat to them there is again most important that uncanny valley aura to them something just isn't right there's these guys that show up out of nowhere they know a lot more than they should and they know that you know something that you shouldn't know and that sort of is the heart i think of what mibs are Mm mm-hmm I'm going to be honest. My brain was doing the ADHD thing. And while you were talking, I was also singing that song in my head. And now I figured out what it was because I Googled it. I I watched. I knew that I was talking to just the (laughs) microphone. I watched you like you were looking at me too much. And I'm like, there's no one's listening right now. Okay, I was listening. But also I was singing in my head the yeah, 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 yeah. From Usher. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. That's yeah. I lo- yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and it's like take that, rewind it back. Little John got the beat that make your booty go. You know. Take that, rewind it back. Pardon me, my retainer is falling out. Um, Anyways, yeah, so, um, so I appreciate the, the. I'm pretty sure I'm an alien that the Men in Black are uh, probably trying to. Well, so what I love about the Men in Black, just to go over some quick theories here, yeah. there's a theory that they are aliens. There's a theory that they are some sort of bureau of aliens that are there to keep an eye on other alien sightings and UFO sightings. And also, there's two of my favorite ones are the theories that it's a government organization that is trying to silence people. Right. Or like a psychops campaign to like freak people out and confuse them. Mm hmm. My favorite one, though, is this theory that it is in the 50s through the 60s is when the UFO flaps were the biggest in America and the bulk of the Men in Black cases arise. It's this idea that the government was sending out low-profile, awkward, basement-dwelling pencil pushers Mm. to go talk to these people about their sightings. And so that's why you have these really awkward, weird men Mm. in suits that don't look right. It's too big on them or they're too tall or too small. They right. look creepy, socially awkward men right. the government has sent that have no social skills to go talk to people about security threats, which is 
maybe these UFOs are Russian planes or whatever. And so let's send Gary from accounting down to go talk to this guy and gather information. Right. Because like, for one, who's going to believe that? And two, no one's going to question the guy from accounting. That's true. And I feel like it makes sense too. Like, especially with the guy that I'm going to be talking about, why the government would send out people in suits to try and like gather information on what people are suspecting or know of alien spaceship stuff. You know, like I tend to lean towards that idea of men in black. So uh, most of the stuff happened in the 50s and 60s, but the public understanding of what the government does is a lot different now. Like we know the government's a lot shadier and more conniving than we once Mm -hmm. thought. I think it's totally possible the government was like, let's scare these people into believing misinformation to keep the story as confusing as possible so that they can't follow the real yarn, the real thread to the story. A lot of these stories involve a great deal of hallucinations, too, accompanied with these things. And there's always theories that they were being drugged or they were being somehow, Mm. you know, affected psychologically, chemically, whatever, by government agencies. Right. Yeah, because the government could get away with a lot more than they can now. You know, like things are so regulated, not even regulated, but watched and monitored Mm -hmm. now than they were before. Like, I feel like you could get away with really anything if you had a badge. You know what I mean? Who's going to stop you? No one even knows that you exist. (laughs) To everyone else watching, you're just a dude in a suit. Back then, like you just respected men in suits. Right. Hello, sir. They're all cis white guys. So like (laughs) they're all interchangeable. They all look the same. I won't necessarily get into it in this episode, in my stories at least. But John Keel, who wrote The Mothman Prophecy, pretty prolific UFO investigator and writer of the paranormal. He talked about how in in his uh, research and in his experiences, these men in black characters, they were like tan and had more Asian faces. Hmm. Like... It was a really weird thing, especially around Point Pleasant in the 60s when you had a lot of men in black sightings and encounters with people who had seen the the frequent UFOs that flew over in that area. When they were encountered by the men in black, it was these kind of awkward guys that seemed foreign, hmm. that had a tan and looked Asian or Mongolian, whatever they were described as, um, which I think is also super weird. I wonder if there's like a part of a bias in their brain, though, of these weird, awkward people and something seeming foreign about them. And, you know, the United States was like a predominantly white society and then attributing that weirdness and foreignness feeling to someone of color. True. You know, and perceiving their memory kind of going backwards as being this other type of person. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I also thought maybe it could be like even someone from like a specific area in the Soviet Union, Mm. spies, stuff like that, people asking questions. I think a lot of it could be counterintelligence, spies and stuff like that, but really kind of creepy stuff. I just love it because the the element of something's not quite right. I love that. That's my favorite thing about the paranormal Mm -hmm. stories of, of high strangeness and uncanniness. I love that kind of stuff, too. Like, when we talked about, like, thin places, yeah. I especially love, like, alternate timeline type stuff, mm-hmm. like mandala effect type stuff, things that are more psychologically strange that can't always be explained away. Yeah. That kind of stuff about paranormal, I think, is so fun. Yeah. On the graph of what is believable and what is dismissible, there is, like, a secret axis of things that are so uncanny 
that it doesn't matter if they don't make factual sense. They themselves are so outrageous. Right. Well, I mean, it's also kind of like bizarre to think about everything that we see and know right now is the truth. And that's only what it is. And we're not missing anything. Yeah. Like the way that humans have always been and the way that they've recorded things and experienced things, there has always been a you know, underlying mysticism. And like a lot of that, yeah, is because they didn't have any knowledge to explain it. But I think it would be kind of not like silly, but, you know, not doing the world justice in a way if you didn't try and take into account all the things that we don't know yet. Yeah. You know, on a, even like a science perspective, we know that time is not like a linear thing. We know that there's so many complexities to quantum mechanics and physics and things like that there can be so many layers to things that we just don't understand as a society yet but we do experience it in these blips and weird coincidences and uncanny moments Mm -hmm. and we are in a way like you know a thousand years down the line going to be in the exact place that our ancestors were a thousand years before us and we're looking at them like haha they're silly you know they were stupid for believing in this because mm-hmm. they didn't have the words yet to describe it. But we're in that same exact spot. You know, at some point, someone's going to look back and be like, oh, my God. I can't believe they were so, yeah. Totally. They were so silly. Yeah. They had no yeah. idea. Right. That's a good point. I love that, like, Like, you'll like, never know. You'll never totally know. You can never stand at the top of the hill and say, I'm the king of the castle. Exactly. We know the most we've ever known. That even implies we still are going to someday know way more than we currently know. Right. History even changes as we learn more about the truth of our reality. Like, shit's crazy. Simultaneously, this is the most we have ever known, but it's also the least that we'll ever know from here on out. Yeah, from here on out, right. Inching back towards the men in black and this idea that it was psyops, a way to trick people or scare people. Um, I'm reminded of this story that was uh, declassified or whatever. Um, This really happened, but in the, again, I think post-World War II, when uh, the U.S. was flying these new aircraft, they were doing it in secrecy, what they would do is when they were flying it, they would have the pilot, this has really happened, Mm -hmm. they would have the pilot wear a gorilla mask so that any pilot who flew by would say, I saw a gorilla flying a plane. Mm Mm-hmm. And everyone would say, a fucking gorilla was in this plane. Right. Just to make you feel crazy for what you're seeing, we're going to have this guy wear a gorilla mask. So you're going you're gonna to doubt yourself all over the place. Right. And I, and I kind of feel like the men in black are most likely something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just this way to gaslight people and to freak them out and to confuse them. And in some cases, there are stories that are like, damn, that's weird. Hmm, that's a real head scratcher. Yeah. And um, I feel like there is a part of human nature to like kind of want to fuck with people. Like as soon as you yeah. get that like minute amount of power and ability to do that with people, like you're going to kind of exercise it if there's going to be no consequences behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can go back in time, you'd want to show them a smartphone and watch them freak out. Right. Exactly. I would love to do that. I'm not a natural trickster, but I still have like the collective unconscious. We have all these archetypes inside of ourselves. We are all the trickster God. Mm-hmm. We all are the the virgin. We all are the whatever. So yeah, men in black, in my opinion, we're all over the place right now. Mm-hmm. But going back to the collective unconscious, these are, men in black are the devils. Don't let them in. Like they, they are vampires. Right. You know, they can't come in unless you let them in. They're not going to directly hurt you. They're going to watch from afar until you let them close enough to where they're going to tell you, hey, stop talking about flying saucers. Right. Stop doing this. You know, they really are the chaotic neutrals. They are. They are. And like they will call you up at night and not talk just to fuck with you. I hate it. 
I feel like I would do so well in that kind of position. Yeah. I would have so much fun. A chance to fuck with people. Absolutely. I'm in. How do right. I, how do I get started? I got, this is completely off topic, but I feel like you'll laugh at it. Um, I got the smallest amount of power at work, right? As a rock climbing instructor. So when I close, I give announcements, right? Like, oh, hey, the climbing session's now over, blah, 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 please leave. Thing is, is people really like to linger and not leave when they're supposed to leave. So what I have started doing to encourage people to leave is playing Kids Bop. <laughs> <laughs> but I play like Kids Bop All-Star. Oh, man. And like the worst ones, the absolute worst hey, ones. You're an All-Star. There's <laughs> like, like a seven of them doing that. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like... That's smart. That's yeah, really smart. this climbing session is now over. Yeah. If you have not finished your climb, please do so. Or you will receive the Kids Pop Curse. You're an all-star. Cue Smash Mouth. Yeah. <laughs> You're an all-star. Get your game on. Get paid. Yeah, no, um, I think, honestly... Okay, so Men in Black, we're about to dive into the real stories in a second, but everything that happens paranormal-wise in America in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. to me could so easily just all be government fuckery mm-hmm. or even the mothman like there's this there's a, a scene i don't think i covered this in the episode but there's a, a pretty interesting scene that john keel lays out in the mothman where they're investigating an old factory by the tnt area which was in a place in mount pleasant where the mothman was like known to lurk or be spotted and they have this there's this high frequency noise that I think so, only some of them hear or something. Anyways, it shatters the windows and it makes everyone feel very uncomfortable, like goosebumps and they start freaking out. And then some of them hear this loud shrieking sound, mm-hmm. headaches, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There are frequencies that can make you nauseous. Yeah. You can weaponize sound. Absolutely. Right. There's like, you know, supersonic sound, stuff like that. I feel like so much of these stories of high strangeness is people's perceptions going haywire. And everyone sees something weird, but I feel like it could just be the government. Like, let's fuck with the small town. Let's test some experimental aircraft. Right. But we don't want people to know that. So we're going to freak them out while we do it. Well, like even running water fucks with people. Yeah. Running water, old wires. Mm-hmm. Anything can really make you hallucinate and freak out. You know, we must have weaponized that. Right. So I just, I thought it'd be fun to explore the origins of the Men in Black by discussing what is known as the Bender Mystery. Oh, okay. So this is the genesis of modern men in black mythology, Mm -hmm. conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. This account establishes several main tropes that we see that will continue throughout all men in black cases. So I'm just going to rattle them off. Um, Strange, uncanny physicalities, black wardrobes, such as black suits, black shoes, gloves, hats, etc. Invasive behavior, intrusive questioning. Their singular interest in UFO sightings and suppressing eyewitnesses and journalists. And lastly, the implication that men in black themselves were not of earthly origins. What if the men in black was really just like a UFO conspiracy group and they were going around to people to discourage them from talking about it because they wanted to investigate it and they were super awkward and stuff because they're a UFO conspiracy group and... I they honestly just wouldn't to buy get... that, too, because you know what? I, from my research during this, one, one thing I found out is that UFO researchers are the cattiest, pettiest people. <laughs> they hate each other. Mm-hmm. They constantly 
just slander each other and, and like especially like the old guys who were around back in the day like they talk about each other they talk trash about each other yeah like, oh yeah him yeah no he was he was a closet pedophile and you know everybody knew it too and yeah he couldn't believe a word that he, he said you know he, he totally messed up this investigation it's like right holy shit you guys don't pull any punches at all because like if you figured something out like you were gonna release this story or whatever and you heard people talking about it you're gonna go over to him and be like hey don't fucking talk about this. This is my story. God damn it. God damn it. I'm talking about this. Yeah. That's honestly, that's not a far cry from reality. I wouldn't be surprised. Like that one picture of the book, like the author or whatever. Yeah. Looks like they would be a very awkward uh, men in black guy. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? So I guess that reminds me, I guess I should name the source material. Um, where I got a lot of my information from was this book called The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern. It's actually a really good book, and actually he's... On the back, he's wearing, like, a dark fedora and sunglasses. looks very cringy. But his writing's actually very self-aware and very funny and, mm. and informative. So I would recommend to check out The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern. Yeah, it was a very interesting read. Maybe he knows about the men in black because he himself is a men in black. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Maybe he's trying to throw us off the scent of men in black. Maybe he's Dave Dave. Maybe he's Dave Dave. Honestly, Maybe he's honestly, Michael Jackson he's totally as Dave Dave oh my as... God. And Nick Redfern. Red, Nick Redfern. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Well, we've cracked it. I think we've cracked it. We've cracked it. Um, so the Bender mystery. Yeah. So what if the UFO conspirists, who are the men in black, came up with this conspiracy of men in black to throw people off the trail of them perpetuating whatever it is that they want to perpetuate and, like, cover up their stories so that they can release them or whatever, you know? You did it. Case is closed. Case is folks. closed. And we can end this episode. Despite this case being closed, I'm going to continue with this episode. <laughs> um, so, being the first story of what would gradually evolve into its own subgenre of paranormal study, the Bender mystery is particularly weird and kind of, uh, probably to the most unwavering of skeptics, outrageously laughable, just because it doesn't really know what it is. If you were to look at it as complete fiction, um, you'd say that, like, okay, it's like a story with a good idea, but bad execution. And then now that's why the Men in Black stories got better is because people got to take the best parts of the story and build off of it, you know? Like any type of folktale. Exactly. No, totally. The Bender mystery first appeared in the 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers by Gray Barker. I know, really, really subtle title. Um, you got, really got to read it to know what it's about. <laughs> Gray Barker was an author, publisher, and key figure in the UFO boom in the late 50s and 60s. There are a few characters as notorious or polarizing in the UFO community as Barker. He was an enigmatic hoaxer whose writings helped push flying saucer stories and ufology into the national spotlight. And in the same breath, he discredited the field with outrageous books and articles that twisted the facts or straight up made them up for the sake of entertainment. In letters to his friends and colleagues, Barker revealed a quiet contempt for the obsessive community of naive UFO fanatics he associated with, and he enjoyed concocting hoaxes and making crank calls to unsuspecting saucer enthusiasts. Yet, according to acquaintances like veteran UFO investigator Jim Mosley, Gray Barker did have a genuine and natural affinity for the paranormal. From his childhood in Clarksburg, West Virginia, Barker was captivated by the macabre, losing himself in scary stories and horror movies. And maybe it was their common interest in the strange and scary that bonded Gray Barker with a nervous, spectacled man from Bridgeport, Connecticut named Alan Bender, who through some miracle trusted Barker to tell his darkest secret, a tale of high strangeness involving flying saucers, a global conspiracy, and an encounter with the men in black. Hmm. 
This is the Bender Conspiracy. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Fartbox here. Fart, um, oh, my God. I'm going to stop that now. Uh, so can you can you do like a one for the Bender Conspiracy? Like a sound bite for that? The Bender Conspiracy. <laughs> that was a crow. Can you can, can we can we uh, sans the the fart noises? <laughs> <laughs> the Bender Conspiracy. Albert K. Bender was an author, ufologist, and lifelong enthusiast of the paranormal and supernatural. This, he is... From the Bender Conspiracy. The Bender Conspiracy. (laughs) He is, like, he should be the third host of this podcast. Oh. Cursed with a nervous nature, Bender was known to have struggled with OCD, hypochondria, and frequent paranoia. Before his life was filled with flying saucers and men in black, Bender served in the U.S. Army Air Corps, during World War II, stationed at Fort Meade as a dental technician. So he was later transferred to Langley as a clerk for the Army Dental Center. And while in Langley, Bender became editor of their Army newspaper. So he was also a writer. And while Gray Barker would originally, um, the story that we'll get into in just a second, Gray Barker puts Bender's words into prose by using the Bender conspiracy in his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. But Bender was also a writer, and later on, many late years later, he would write his own book called The Men of Three, like the, the Saucer and the Three Men in Black, something weird. But anyways, his interest in strange occurrences in the sky began in 1945 when a squadron of military aircraft known as Flight 19 mysteriously vanished over the Bermuda Triangle. That's a whole other story that is one of the earliest, like, Ooh, that's that's what started the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle being spooky. One of the early <laughs> one of the earliest. Ooh, <laughs> ooh it's scary oh, up there. Uh, it's scary. Uh, this led Bender down a paranormal rabbit hole as he immersed himself in books on the unexplained, such as the works of Charles Fort, who we've talked about before. He's the guy who would catalog any historical record of weird occurrences like raining frogs or he remember he coined the term teleportation oh he's that guy so like Mm -hmm. yeah he's a king of weird paranormal etc etc um in 1947 when pilot kenneth arnold first witnessed several crescent-shaped aircraft over mount rainier which he unintentionally christened as flying saucers we've talked about that a bunch Albert Bender was fully indoctrinated by that time in the paranormal phenomenon and was fully prepared to throw himself into further research of UFO sightings. At that time in 1947, Bender was... (laughs) I forgot about this. (laughs) Bender was living in an apartment with his stepfather. Totally normal living arrangement for a 26-year-old man. Bender and his stepfather occupied the top floor of a three-story apartment building. Their apartment had an attic space where Bender spent most of his time. This was like a little offshoot room. He called it the upper room. This was a private space where he could study paranormal literature, collect and read UFO newspaper clippings, and even use a modest telescope to watch the night sky for flying saucers. He also read classic horror novels and experimented with occult entertainment such as Ouija boards and seances. Hmm. His time alone in an attic obsessing over spooky stuff inspired him to turn the attic into a functional haunted house. Bender painted scary faces and monsters on the walls and glued rubber bats and spiders to the ceiling. Bender referred to his attic as Bender's Chamber of Horrors and invited co-workers to tour his room, which was littered with horrifying images and Halloween decorations. Oh, more interesting uh, as well. At this time, Bender worked a factory job at the Acme Shear Company as the chief timekeeper. 
kind of playing into his OCD. Bender mm. was really good at like keeping things organized and on time. Yeah. This was the nation's largest manufacturer of scissors. So it was a scissor factory. Oh, can, um, I mean, can I join in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Love it. Um, partly it. due to in. his timekeeping job and partly due to his OCD, Bender kept 20 clocks in his attic room as well that were set to chime off every 15 minutes. Okay. I don't know why. So going back, Bender referred to his attic as Bender's Chamber of Horrors and invited co-workers to tour his room, which was littered with horrifying images, Halloween decorations, a constantly playing record of Halloween sound effects, <laughs> and 20 clocks chiming every 15 minutes. What if I like decorated my attic in such a way and I was like, Jeremy, I need you to see something. I need you to check this out. What would you awesome. do? I think it would be awesome. Yeah? I would love that. That's so cool to me. As long as I knew that you were stable, you know? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, what if you don't know? Yeah, if you were just somebody who worked at the scissor factory with me, mm -hmm. I'd probably be like, I'm not going to go over your house again. Yeah. But I, since I know you, I'm going to be like, that's fucking cool, dude. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Congrats on doing a cool Congrats. thing. So Albert K. Bender was a perfectly normal young man, obviously. <laughs> Jumping ahead a little bit. December 1950. Bender gets serious about UFO investigations and he collects UFO related articles. He collects various flying saucer sightings accounts and cross references them with other accounts. Lo and behold, over time, it becomes like a full time job for him pretty much. And in 1952, Bender establishes a global network of UFO investigators called the IFSB or the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Soon after Bender began publishing his own magazine called Space Review. Mm -hmm. It was actually through the IFSB that Bender met Gray Barker, who would eventually tell the story that you're about to hear on Bender's Accord. Quickly, the IFSB grew and grew with members and representatives in multiple countries. Bender's dream was finally sort of a reality. Until the night of July 30th, 1952, an anonymous telephone call to his apartment sends Bender down a dark path. So the phone rings. His stepfather isn't there to answer it. <laughs> and upon answering, Bender was met with a uniquely eerie silence on the other end of the line that made his skin crawl. No one said anything. He just he just had this really intense feeling of someone's listening and they're not talking. Ooh. Someone's playing a trick on me. Mm -hmm. Not good. Suddenly, Bender suffered a horrible migraine and was forced to retreat to his bed. That brings me to the story when he first starts to see the men in black. So it begins mm -hmm. one night... Shortly after that weird telephone call, Bender goes to this theater one night. He loves sci-fi movies and horror movies. Yeah. So he goes to see a movie. The whole time he just feels uncomfortable. He goes home and as he's walking home, he feels like intensely like he's being followed. And so he starts getting that paranoia. He starts getting anxious. He rushes home. And when he gets home, he goes up the attic steps to his door. Mm -hmm. The door's closed. And he sees a glowing light coming from under the door. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what is this? He opens the door and he sees in the middle of his room this bright orb of glowing light. And suddenly he watches the orb dematerialize and he's left with this sick stench of sulfur. Huh. Okay. Like fire and brimstone smell. Interesting. And he instinctively knows because he's so OCD and he has such an order around his room and all his clippings and his documents, he, he looks around to make sure, you know, everything's okay. And he can tell that someone's been looking through his papers. Mm. Someone's been looking through his stuff. And I believe this was also accompanied by a migraine afterwards. Right. And so then later, on a different night, this is the one that freaks me the fuck out. Ooh, 
Okay. So later, Bender returns to um, the theater again, again, a movie fan. He goes to another sci-fi movie. Um, I, I, this is in the same year. I don't know if this is weeks, days, or months later. Bender's in this theater. He gets that same feeling again that he's being watched. Oh, and he looks and he, <laughs> he looks down. From what I read, it's like he looks sort of behind him down the aisle. There's a man in a black suit in the shadow of this movie theater. He's crouched behind at the end of the aisle behind the chair, staring at Bender. And he's got eyes like flashlights, <gasps> like a glint in his eye that is more than just reflected light. It's bright, bright eyes. Hmm. And then Bender has another headache moment, looks away and he looks back and he watches the man dematerialize. This is like Harry Potter, you know, like how Harry Potter's scar always stings whenever Voldemort is nearby or there's totally. Voldemort things going on. Absolutely. This is like Bender. Yeah. Like he gets migraine. He has a headache every time this thing happens to him. Right. Yeah. I believe it. And as he's walking home that night, he's probably fucking booking it. He keeps on seeing these guys for brief moments. These guys looking at him with these fucking eyes mm -hmm. in the night, just walking down That's this dark terrifying. city street, seeing these guys look around corners at him or like standing still and quietly watching him just for a moment. And like his head's killing him and he's running home. And Bender continued to have brief sightings of vanishing men in black accompanied by that sulfur stench and headaches for a while. Is he still alive, this guy? He lived till he was like 94. He lived a long time. Because my first thought is like, well, brain tumor. Sounds like a brain tumor. Right. You know, you're, you're seeing things, smelling things, headaches, you're hallucinating. But dude lived a very long time. Yeah. And then in 1953, he had an encounter with three men in black inside his room. So in some versions of the story I read, this particular encounter happened right after Bender had been in contact with a UFO investigator, part of the IFSB, who... Gave him some information that kind of made something click in his head. So allegedly Bender kind of like had some epiphany. And then shortly after, in 1953, Bender's attic room was infiltrated by three men in black who wore these black suits and what are called black Hamburg hats, which mm -hmm. are just felt fedoras sort of. Bender goes to his room. He sees these three men standing there and they're looking through papers and stuff like that. And they circle around him and they put their hands on him. And they teleport him to someplace else. Hmm. And so essentially just, just the broad strokes of what happens is they tell him that he's on to something, but also mm. they want him to stop doing what he's doing and that their true forms look nothing like what they appear to him as. Mm. And they actually come from a planet that is much colder and they currently have like a secret base in Antarctica. And so they put their hands on him and he wakes up in this base in Antarctica with these three men. Very kind of like off the wall. Yeah. The Men in Black trio conveyed top secret information about themselves and their mission on Earth. One such revelation was that the UFO flaps across the world were genuine and the UFOs were piloted by aliens sent to extract a substance or like a compound that was not specified by Bender hmm. from seawater. That's why they were here. They were trying to get something from the seawater. Interesting. They revealed that they were the ones giving him the headaches hmm. because he kept on continuing with UFO information, dissemination, stuff like that. And they also threatened that if he went public with it, they would cause him more physical harm. Right. According to Bender, the men in black simply chose him to be a keeper of their forbidden knowledge, telling him, quote, You are charged to keep our secret. We do not wish to take extreme action, and you will find that you will often consider giving away some part of this information. When you get such thoughts, you will be reminded of the consequences by headaches which will be almost unbearable to you. 
At such times, beware of more serious conditions we can bring about. Hmm. Apparently after this, the encounter scared Bender into discontinuing his magazine Space Review suddenly in 1953, and he left the IFSB and never talked about it ever. Even after his book he wrote in 62, which is, I guess, had a lot more detail than the original one that Bray Barker had written. After that, people who, who knew him personally said that he literally would not talk about it to anyone. Wow. It wasn't like a cash grab where he kept on banking off of it. After he wrote that one book, he was genuinely scared. Wow. Whatever it was, like this was a guy who went on to like have a family and ended up founding some prolific school or, or, mm-hmm. or museum or something for Max Steinberg, which is like a famous film composer. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who didn't end up in a madhouse. He was a very functional member of society. He just never talked about it ever again publicly, which is really interesting. But so I guess in going back to Gray Barker, when he told the story in his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, Gray Barker heavily implied that the men in black were government agents. Um, and at that time, government agents like uh, the FBI, they were actually visiting a lot of UFO investigators. They visited Barker, for example, to question him about what he knew about flying saucers and what he knew about the IFSB, because they believed that the Russians were infiltrating UFO groups to create a pandemonium so that people would be too distracted by lights in the sky that they could eventually make a full land invasion. Right, right. So that's what the FBI were worried about. Supposedly. Supposedly. They're like, hey guys, no, I'm sorry. We're not worried about aliens. We're worried about the Russians. The Russians. Ah. I mean, that makes sense to me because everyone was very afraid of the Russians, especially America and during the Cold War. It's a very easy scapegoat. But uh, that should probably lead you into what you want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. So I focused my research on someone by the name of Richard Doty. And he was very difficult to find information on, actually. So there was a documentary um, surrounding him called Mirage Men. I heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. And he was talked about quite extensively in that. But finding information outside of that documentary, very, very difficult which I find bizarre considering there is an entire documentary about him. The UFO conspiracy circle is very large. Like I would think a lot more people would be talking about him and there would be like quite a few articles talking about him. Kind of hard. Kind of hard to find information. I noticed it can be hard to find information on this stuff because the UFO publications are so small. Yeah. Like independent zines almost in Mm -hmm. that small time um, that it can be really hard to find stuff. Even in my research, it was hard to find any like reliable sources that weren't like, you know, out of publication. Right. So it's kind of, I don't know. I felt like that was kind of interesting and like the government was trying to hide (laughs) (laughs) all this information. It's kind of how I felt when I was researching it. Um, Anyways, Richard Doty is a former Air Force Special Investigations Officer and was interviewed in the documentary Mirage Men. He admits to entering several UFO circles and giving them faulty information, Mm. which I think is really interesting, which kind of plays into the Men in Black idea of them being part of the government and kind of like terrorizing people a little bit. Um, Because this is a guy who like fully admits that he was like in the Air Force and was like an investigations officer and infiltrated these circles for the purpose of giving them false information to confuse them yeah. and throw them off the scent, you know, so they couldn't actually find the real story, which I think is kind of crazy. Um, so he would kind of come up to these people and say something along the lines of, 
I'm with the government. If you cooperate, I'm going to tell you what the government really knows about UFOs. So if you're coming up to all of these people whose life and living and, you know, fantasize about UFOs and you tell them, hey, I'm, I'm from the government and yeah. I'm actually going to tell you information about UFOs, I'd be like, yeah, cream yeah. their genes. What do you need? I'll give you my yeah. children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. Right. So he would feed these circles lies and half truths knowing that their imagination would do the rest and kind of like fill in the gaps and kind of like go and spiral off. In return, they heard all of the information in the community, which would alert them, the government, when people were getting too close to the government's knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a nice, you know, two birds, one stone. Like mm -hmm. you're throwing them off the scent and giving them what they want, which is supposedly government information while getting all of the information that they know. Yeah. You know, like you really, you can't lose in that situation. Like it's kind of a genius on their part. So they were giving them some valid information? Like half, like half truths. Yeah. And then lies also sprinkled right. in. So when they would investigate or whatever, they would find the half truths and then kind of go off that, right? Like, oh my God, yeah, this is like valid. Oh my God, this, because this is true. Yeah. You know, and that, then believe the rest super of it. Smart. That reminds me of... um Bob Lazar, the guy who said he was uh, worked at Area 51 and saw some shit. Yeah. He was talking about how the instructions they gave him while he was working there were so outrageous. They'd say, like, here's what we know. Here's a, here's a list of what we know. And it was information like, this came from a star on the planet, this. Mm -hmm. This came from this, blah, blah, blah. And he said that likely a lot of the information they had there was bullshit and just stuff they gave to him and his department. Mm. So that if there was a leak, they would know who leaked it. Yeah, 100%. They give you custom information and then they can follow the information to see how it's spreading. 100%, yeah. Which I think makes total sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I feel like on the other end of the token, for his stories that Bob Lazar, because he gave like very specific information that the government supposedly gave him, like the whole handprint thing that was like completely bizarre and weird. Like, there's no way to completely validate everything that he's told us. But because we have these very specific truths yeah. in his story, we're going to tend to believe all of it, even if all of it isn't true. Yeah. And you what, what I mean, what I'm always referring to is Bob Lazar for years in his story that was never believed. One of the things he said that when he worked at Air 51, they had these hand scanners that like measured the the length of the bones in your fingers, which was the equivalent of that was unique to every person. And so that's how they would identify you. And everyone's like, that's just more bullshit to this bullshit story. And then it came out a few years ago that they were using these old handprint scanners that did exactly what Bob Lazar was talking about. Right. So like there, there is these little truths that, that come out that prove some people's stories. It makes it more murky, honestly, because you're like, okay, well, damn, maybe he was telling the truth. Right. But it's like how much of it is truth? Because like, did he work for the government? I'm sure, probably. Did he work for deconstructing alien spacecraft i don't know yeah because really the handprint scanner only verifies that he worked he in this worked, place he worked in where he was saying he worked you yeah. know so one specific case of like richard Doty kind of manipulating people is the case of paul benowitz have you ever heard of him no so he's a pretty prolific uh figure in ufo circles he was an electronic entrepreneur in new mexico and he started seeing strange lights in the sky and getting weird transmissions on his home equipment back in 1979. So he contacted the Air Force 
And Paul was living right across the road from the Kirtland Air Force Base. And when he called the Air Force to report these weird transmissions, uh, they realized that Paul was actually eavesdropping on them and not on the aliens that he thought that he was. So the Air Force Base kind of freaked the fuck out. They're like, this guy is like spying on us. He doesn't know that he's spying on us yet. Like he thinks that it's aliens. Um, but they're like, this guy can't, you know, he can't like keep doing this, right? Yeah, Obviously. Well, that's interesting. So Dodie was like assigned to this, you know, and he handled this guy, Paul Benowitz. And Dodie told him that they were interested in his findings and encouraged him to dig deeper. So within a few years, Paul was interpreting alien languages, spotting crashed alien a- aircraft, and causing alarm for a full scale alien invasion. Because the military basically validated this guy, like, oh my god, yeah, that's crazy. Like, you need to like really dig into this. And this they is start nuts. Playing a play for him, so right? Instead of showing their hand and saying, "No, that was us," you heard. They're saying, like, "Oh yeah, no, keep on listening." And then they totally make him a shit witness now because he's believes in all this alien shit they are broadcasting to him. So they like fully gave him software that could read the signals. And they even left fake alien props for him to find. Holy shit. Right? So they like encouraged him to dig deeper into this and then relay all the information that he got to them. Yeah. So they could know everything that he was finding. Right. While also throwing him off the scent in really kind of a cruel way. (laughs) Completely cruel way. Imagine how fucking excited he was. Right. So like the entire time they, they were essentially watching him watching them yeah yeah, (laughs) but he didn't know like he didn't know he was watching the military he thought he was watching aliens yeah so the alien conspiracy completely took over his life and in 1988 so about 10 years later uh his family checked him into a psychiatric facility wow over it holy shit that's so horrible like that's how far they kind of like twisted and manipulated people's minds around uh believing alien conspiracies well they use it as a way to discredit you because if they can Uh, then trick you and brainwash you in a sense to like make you an an unreliable witness Mm -hmm. you know anything to ruin your testimony because they don't know they don't know what he heard he could have heard some top secret information that could really come back to bite them and so how do you do that you hide the scent right because if they straight out were like you need to stop you need to stop but if they say you're on our team we're working with you you're very important and special here's some more absolutely crazy shit that's gonna blow your mind right and then however long, many years later, he's in a psychiatric hospital. Right. So it's like mission accomplished. Right. From then on out, no one's going to believe anything he says. Yeah, it's all gaslighting. Yeah, 100%. The military is just an, an abusive ex. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so some other examples of how the military would kind of fuck with people is they would do cattle mutilations in the 70s. And it was officials like investigating livestock radiation So they would like introduce radiation to this cattle and they would autopsy them essentially to figure out the effects. Um, But they would kind of leave the carcasses there. Yeah. So people would find them and, you know, assume that there were aliens and stuff because what else is going to be mutilating all this cattle this way and not eat it, you know, kind of thing. And like, I'm sure the military was not complete or the government wasn't completely innocent in that thought process. You know what I mean? Another example is that test pilots 
would admit to adding flashing lights to their helicopters in order to trick people. Ugh. Which is like, like we were talking earlier, like if you have the opportunity to trick people, like if you have that power yeah. to kind of harmlessly trick people, you're going to take it because to you, it's kind of funny. Whereas, it's more thrilling. Yeah. Right. But to these other people, it's like, you know, they don't, they're not in on the joke. They don't know. But if you have that opportunity, <laughs> people are going to take it. They're going to want to dive into their trickster god personas. So Dodie kind of casually talks about being a part of the leaking of the document called Majestic 12 Dossier, or MJ-12. What MJ-12 is, is a secret organization of scientists, military leaders, and government officials formed by President Truman. And the sole purpose was to investigate alien spaceships. So there was a part of a series of quote, leaked government documents in 1984 in which the FBI said that they were like bogus, like they weren't real, but a lot of people believe the documents mm -hmm. and that there is this organization where the government is kind of working to investigate aliens, which I could see either way, you know, like obviously if it's true, the government doesn't want you to know and they're going to say it's bogus because why the fuck wouldn't they? Right. You know, like they're not going to openly admit to that. I mean, the government's always going to want to, and I, this makes sense to me, the government's always going to want to make sure that they have a clear definition of what they're dealing with before they let you know what we're dealing with. They're the government. So like they don't want us knowing anything until they know a little bit about it too. Right. And, like, we already know from leaked documents that they have been investigating UFOs. But more for, like, a national security purpose, which right. makes complete sense. It does make complete sense. But I feel like it's not too far off to think that they have, like, a team or, like, an organization of higher-level people investigating this idea of alien spacecraft. I think most of the time it's more or less, you know, we're looking for a real earthly threat, like the Russians or right. who knows, maybe it could be aliens. Like, I think that's probably not their main concern. Um, there was a thing recently, though, where Congress was genuinely investigating UFOs, stuff like that, and it didn't really turn out to be anything at all. I mean, if it was anything, would they say that? Who fucking knows? That's the thing, too, is like, they why 100 would they tell could us? just be releasing these documents like, ah, hey, we tried and there was nothing. You know, we tried and there wasn't anything yeah. when there was something and they're just like wanting us to not know about it. It's like, ugh. I don't know. I love kind of going down the conspiracy hive mind. I think I it's fun. It I um, think the conspiracies are dangerous. I do. I'm at a point now where, like, there are aliens. I just yeah, believe there, there are. I just there believe are. there yeah. has to be. I don't know if they've been here. I don't know if they give a shit about us at all. I don't know if there's a real conspiracy. I don't know if the men in black <laughs> are real. But, man, there's got to be aliens. Do you know what I just realized? We're two people who are, like, frantically taking notes at 4 a.m. about alien spaceships yeah. um, and talking on a podcast all of the different conspiracies of the government lying to us uh, for a long time in your parents' basement yeah. uh, and broadcasting this to people <laughs> to also listen to. We are the scum of the human yeah. race. <laughs> yeah, we are not making good use of our time. Right. Sure. Did you ever think when you grew up that you were going to be in your parents' basement rambling about aliens and government conspiracy theories God, on a hoped. podcast? Fr frankly, I would have hoped. I would have <laughs> hoped. Because even right. as a kid, I love that shit. It's fair. Yeah. Right there on the, on the bookshelf in my room. That book on the end called Unexplained. Mm. That was my first. I was like 10 when I got that book. Wow. It scared the I had to read it only in the daylight. 
aliens and ghosts and stuff like that and like i was yeah. hooked i was so hooked on that kind of shit too even as a kid man and here man, we are i loved it i here loved it we are. yeah um i do have one more little blip about richard Doty. yeah please. um so he was also tied to and thought to have a hand in something called project sherpo mm -hmm. so he denies this he says that he doesn't have any part of this but project sherpo is a human exchange program between the U.S. and an alien planet called Sherpo and the Zeta Reticuli star system. So the theory is thought to originally come from Richard Doty in 1983 when he contacted an investigative journalist by the name of Linda Molto Howe, and he was claiming to be able to give Air Force documents to her for like a documentary that she was making only for him to pull out of it later um, and never actually provided the documents. And there were also a series of emails that was sent to a UFO discussion group back in 2005 claiming that the project was real. And this was apparently tied to Richard Doty as well. And Richard Doty was the guy that was getting bad information from the government? Yeah, so he's okay. the Air Force officer who was spreading misinformation. Okay. So he's like also tied to these other... So he was tied to the leaked document about... The MJ-12, the, you know, Federation to figure out fucking alien spaceships, and also thought to be a part of the Project Sherpo. He's making up lies all over the place. This is, like, more so tying him to all of these sketchy government programs that may or may not be real, but he is also known to be someone who spreads misinformation okay so he's just like a government misinformation spreader right so like he's kind of known to be this person who's sketchy and then we have all these leaked documents about things and he claims to be a part of the leaked documents for one of those things and then denies the other one so people are kind of like pinning all of these leaks and government knowledge whatever of weird freaky stuff to him yeah. as well. Because he's kind of already made himself a figurehead for it right, of his right. own volition. Right, right, right. You know? It implies that the government is doing stuff like that. Which, What is the truth at that point? Right. It's freaky to think the government actively hires people that all they do is spread misinformation. Right. So the theory behind this Project Sherpo is that an alien survived a crash near Roswell in the 1940s, right? We're all familiar with the Roswell yeah. crash. Um, if you're not listening to our episode about the Roswell conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> and this alien survived the crash and was taken in by the military and was kind of like taken care of. Um, like uh -huh. we were kind of being like hospitable about it. Sherpa. And this led to an establishment of a relationship between the U.S. government and the alien home world that the alien was from and this is where the greys are thought to be from mm. like this planet called sherpo has the greys so the military this is where it kind of gets bleh for me okay not that it wasn't before but always i know there's always a point where it's like well, man, this isn't fun anymore all right yeah. this is like too far yeah you had to take it too far yep so the military reportedly visited this planet between 1965 and 1978 but everyone that was on that trip has since died from the radiation that they encountered from, like, the multiple suns that they mm -hmm. have in that um, solar system. Yeah. So there's no one really to, you know, corroborate that story. How convenient. Right. And also, <laughs> there's no way that our technology would have allowed for that at that point. I mean, I guess, like, if we're talking about the aliens, um, they could have just taken them. 
and brought them over there. Who fucking It's knows? obviously a bunch of a bunch of hooey. So in conclusion, I just enjoyed the Men in Black because of the stories that you can read in the Mothman Prophecies. I recommend the Mothman Prophecies. It's the most fun paranormal book I've read. Most of it's probably bullshit, but John Keel is an actually good author, which is rare. I've read so many shitty books for this podcast. <laughs> uh, John Keel actually is a good writer. And Mothman Prophecies has a wide breadth of uh, different topics like the Men in Black and Mothman and a bunch of UFO stuff. So but he tells stories in there about like accounts of like waitresses serving men who claim to be from the military, but like mm. they don't know how to eat a steak. Oh, yeah, they're super tall and awkward and they walk like they're made of like sticks. Mm-hmm. And there was one story, too, of this guy named like Richard French or whatever. And he's like, I am an officer from the Air Force. May I please have something to eat? And then she <laughs> brings him like jello and he's like, mm, delicious. And he goes and he starts trying to drink the jello. <laughs> tries to fucking drink the jello. <laughs> I so love that, it. I love that kind of stuff. Those kind of weird stuff. Can we, for Halloween, dress up as men in black and act like that? Please, <laughs> I, I beg you. I beg you. Hello. Can we I go am to a going bar? to need water soon. What do you serve in this establishment? Do you have spoons? How do I consume? Ah, uh, yes, meatloaf. I have read about meatloaf. I want meatloaf. <laughs> you go up to a bar. Excuse me. I have heard about your meatloaf. May I have meatloaf? I was hoping for a drink of meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> can we please? Can we please Let's do, do that, I love that for Halloween? I love that. I love that. It'll be so um, fun. Okay. Well, anyways, guys. Thank you for listening to our ramblings of conspiracies, government, foolery. Some tomfoolery. Some tomfoolery and gaslighting. Yes, which is my favorite thing. I love to fool and gaslight. Which is kind of fun because this episode was actually voted on by our patrons over on Patreon. Oh, my gosh. So if you would like to also partake in voting on future topics, you can join our Patreon at According to an Idiot. You can also let us know how we're doing and if you liked this whole shebang by emailing us at according to an idiot at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and Instagram at according to an idiot and a Twitter at idiots accord that we sometimes use. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, really. But any of those are a good way to stay up to date on all of our releases on our episodes. Yep. And our Patreon is sort of is, is we're starting to add some actual content to it. Um, and we'll be doing more as the year goes on. Absolutely. And if you would like to really help us out, you can leave us an iTunes review and I will read it on the next full length episode. Awesome. Hey, uh, Mo, you got a good vibe for me? My good vibe is the fact that I can see today without an eye patch. Honestly, yeah, really. And I, and I hope that your eye continues to heal. I hope that like you don't lose it. But if you do, I think you'll look cool with an eye patch. I think the worst case scenario is that I need a cornea transplant. Oh, fuck. That's, that is a very worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, damn. Yeah. Well, my good vibe is to all of the high functioning autistic men <laughs> who were mistaken as men in black in the 50s and 60s, <laughs> these government workers, or just guys that were wearing suits that looked weird on them mm-hmm. and didn't know how to eat jello. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, Honestly, I'm out here fighting for you. Honestly, like if you watch Loved on the Spectrum and things like that, I would 100% believe (laughs) that those guys are just like autistic. Absolutely. He he, he is a man in black. Thank you to men in black everywhere. Thank you to men in black. Well, that just about covers it for this episode. Uh, Good to be back. Love you all. And I will see you in time. And remember, 
Michael Jackson is alive. He's Dave Dave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs>